Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. You know, we're going to interrupt our study in the book of Revelation. We'll get back to that again next week uh, to uh, talk about something that uh, happened in the courts over the last couple of weeks that I felt the need to, well, I needed to get some clarification on it. So I took the liberty of inviting Dr. Barry Bussey to join us. Dr. Bussey, thanks for coming back. Great to be here. Man. As our viewers, many of our viewers know, you are a lawyer, you are, uh, I think you're an expert in the area of religious liberty and personal freedoms and have argued before the Supreme Court. And uh, a couple of weeks, you've written about the, the trucker protest, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about your book and have you come back on another program and talk specifically about the book now that the book is out. Um, and the lessons learned from that, what I think will be a historical event in Canadian, mm-hmm. Canadian history. Yeah. And uh, as, as part of that whole process, the, the federal government invoked the Emergencies Act. Mm-hmm. And there's been a ruling by the federal court that seemed to be in contradiction to what the conclusion of the public inquiry. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard that, you know, you came to mind right away. And I said, I've got to see if I can get a hold of Dr. Bussey, invite him on the program just to talk to us about what happened, what was that the federal courts ruled, and what implications may that mm-hmm. have, you know, for us as a nation, as Christians, you know, going forward. And so, okay, great. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop talking now and just <laughs> no. let you talk well, now. Let's, let's have a conversation. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, a very interesting decision. Uh, simply because over the last number of years, as I've been on this program, I've been talking about how the courts have been deferring more and more to government and to the bureaucracy, to the experts or the government actors who make the decision. Right. Um, the courts have uh, felt that it was necessary that when uh, government actors are involved in making a decision that they leave it up to the experts and so try not to interfere. So now that we have a case where the government itself, you can't get any more government actor than the governor in council, which is the cabinet. The prime minister and all of his cabinet sitting around the table makes the decision they're going to invoke the Emergencies Act. So now uh, the court said, well, we need to have a look at this. But first I'm going to deal with the issue you raised about the difference between this decision and that of Justice Rouleau with the public inquiry. The public inquiry is required under the Emergencies Act to be held and to review as to why the government invoked the act and and so forth and look at it. It's more of a political inquiry as opposed to a legal one. Yet it was quite fascinating that Justice Rouleau even gave an opinion uh, and basically it was of the view that the government had met the threshold of invoking the act. Okay. And we'll talk about the threshold here yes. and how Justice Mosley at the federal court looked at it and said, well, no, it doesn't, the government didn't reach the threshold. Justice Rouleau said, well, someone else could look at this and come to a different conclusion. Okay. He didn't need to make that decision, but he did. Okay. And one can't help but, you know, there was a political motivation uh, with that, right? Okay, so that's that's different, and it's the same thing then with the uh, congressional, or the, sorry, not congressional, but the parliamentary um, 
a committee that was held afterwards as well, and and that was dealing with it. You're dealing with politics, so politics right. is one way, but now we're getting into the weeds of the legal analysis. Okay. So a court now is going to make a decision, and did make a decision, and said that the government overstepped. It had no authority to invoke the act like they could. Can I, if I can interrupt you, why did it go to the federal court? Like who? Well, because it's dealing with the federal government. So, but does someone have to yeah, take oh, it to court? Like, yeah, who yeah, are the yeah, parties? yeah. So, so there were a number of parties. Oh, okay. uh, there were uh, a number of nurses. There were others. There was the uh, Canadian Civil Liberties oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. Association was involved. The uh, Canada Constitutional Foundation and so on. Got it. Okay. And and others. Okay. Who were saying, look, uh, we're going to the court and we're saying that the the government was wrong in invoking the act. In spite of what the public in spite inquiry... of all of that, yeah, yes. Okay, got it. Yeah. Sorry. Now the the reality is is that uh, this is now requiring a court to make a decision. Okay. Okay. Justice Mosley looked at the situation and and what has been happening with all of the COVID arguments uh, or COVID cases is that the courts have been saying, well, it's moot because the lockdowns are no longer uh, in place. And you don't. We're not Travel even going. We're, we're not even going to hear the case. Right. And so they've been kicking out the cases right. one after another. And it's a, a great uh, strategy of government, really, uh, to to when it when it's brought before the court because the citizens are now saying, "Hey, you violated our charter rights. You violated uh, Bill of Rights, and so on." And to say, "Well, you know, this shouldn't even be in court because it's moot." Now, what does moot mean? Well, moot means that. Uh, this, there is no live issue for the court to deal with because the government has pulled back and the lockdowns are not going on if it was a lockdown case. And in this case, the government argued, well, look, this is moot because the Emergencies Act is no longer right. invoked. Okay. And so if you make a decision for the government to, um, you know, uh, rescind its order, uh, because it was unconstitutional. Well, it was already done. So you're making an order in thin air, as it were. Right. Right? Okay. So, but it's a great um, analysis of Justice Mosley to look at it, and he said, well, hold on here now, uh, because uh, when we're looking at the concept of mootness, uh, we got to determine whether or not there's uh, actually some uh, adversarial context here. If there was some uh, dispute that's ongoing, Okay, and so it, it it was a concern that okay adversarial context also that there's a uh, part of the argument is well you're wasting the court's time mm -hmm. well is this really wasting the court's time so and then finally the relationship between judges and the legislative branch and so I mean the judge said look. It is not moot because it's adversarial contacts going on here. There is a dispute ongoing. And also, when it comes to judicial economy, the court just rejected the government's argument that said, well, you know, this is not uh, ever going to happen again. This is like once in a lifetime right. kind of uh, a situation. The judge says, no, this could easily happen again. I mean, a government could strategically say that... Uh, they know that they're going to uh, invoke the Emergencies Act yep. and violate rights, right. but then get their project done, get their policy completed, 
and then step back and say, oh, uh, we're, we, right. we no longer need it, right? So in other words, right. you violate the rights, but you no longer need to violate the rights, and then argue before the yeah. courts, well, it's all moot. And then when someone tries to go to court, they're going to say, well, it's moot. It's, it's, yeah. it's not in effect anymore. Yeah, yeah. and so, so the judge said, no, no, yeah, the, sure. this is unacceptable. We have to uh, look at this and, and not just, uh, you know, justice has to be done at the end of the right. day. The, the other thing that I found fascinating with this case was, was that the, um, the court pointed out that when, when you're looking at the, um, the relationship between government and the judiciary, the, the courts have a role to basically be a check against the activities of the government. Right. And if, if it's always going to be moot, then the courts have no opportunity to provide that uh, oversight. Exactly. So then the court went on and said, okay, let's have a look at what all is going on here. The government said that acted, uh, met the thresholds, they argued they met the thresholds that they could enforce the Emergencies Act as defined in the Emergencies Act. And what were those thresholds? Well, number one, they had to have a national emergency. Okay. And he looked at this and he says, well, no, there's no national emergency here. We've got uh, a dispute going on right now in Ottawa, but by the time they invoked the act, all of the uh, matter in Coots, Alberta, for example, was settled. What was going on down in Windsor, Windsor right. that was settled. And there was not an, a national uh, emergency whereby there was no uh, applicable law that could resolve the issue. Right. Right. And, and so then, so then, okay, so it's not a national emergency. The next thing the court said is that the act itself says that you have to have a threat to the security of Canada. Now, what is fascinating with the government's argument here is this, and it's a little bit uh, complicated, but I'll just try to make it as simple as I can. Okay. But the Emergencies Act actually uses the definition of a national security threat from the CESIS Act. Okay. Okay, right. which is the Canadian uh, uh, Security and Intelligence Service. Yes, right. yeah. And so the, the CESIS Act defines what is a threat to national security. That is incorporated into the Emergencies Act. And what was part of the rationale of the federal government in invoking the act, they said, well, okay, uh, national security. But if we use the CESIS definition, that means you're going to have to have violence. You're going to have uh, severe damage to property. And we're talking like severe damage. Right. We're talking like, um, you know, destruction of the electrical grid or something right. like that. Okay. Or if there's uh, violence, then it's, you know, just chaotic throughout cities right. across the country right. and that kind of thing. In essence, it's a state of war mindset, right? right. Okay. So the under the current government, they were saying, well, since it had to do with economic threat, uh, then we would invoke the act. But what was interesting is that the court said, well, that's nowhere in the act I about economic threat. You're reading into that. Yeah, yeah they're, yeah, they're yeah. reading into yeah. it. Okay. Now he said, I may have an opinion that says, um, if I were sitting around the table, he said, perhaps I would make the same decision, but, there is, he said, you've got to deal with the law as it is. Right. And the law says that it has to be 
under the CSIS Act's definition of national security threat. And that threat includes violence, it has to be criminal, and it has to be something that is that, that is a very serious to the very integrity of the country. Like the FLQ crisis. The FLQ. Yeah. I mean, at least that, yes, right? Yes. And, and so he looks at it and he says, no, this, is, this doesn't reach that at all. And so he says, well, uh, so what's happened? Number one, there's no uh, national emergency. In fact, his actual words on the national emergency were these. There was no national emergency justifying the invocation of the Emergencies Act, and the decision to, th to do so, therefore, is unreasonable and ultra-virus. In other words, they had no authority wow. to be able to act. And wow. then when it came to uh, the threats of national security, he just says, look, that um, economic disruption is, uh, is unable to find that the term encompasses the type of economic disruption that resulted from the border crossing blockades, troubling as they were. Mm -hmm. In other words, there is just, look, there is no way. Now, one of the things that he did say in the act, and that I think we all need to watch going forward, is that he said, well, just because it's not there in the act, and yes, I have to rule that it's unconstitutional and that it's unlawful. Um, you could amend the act. Now, I think that's going to be dangerous uh, because we do not want to lower the threshold. Mm. We yes. want to keep it high. Yeah, you don't want to make it easier to invoke the Emergencies Act, do no, you? No, it's just yeah. way too much power. Yeah, that's I mean, just look at what they did. They froze bank accounts. Yes. They, you know, uh, towed away people's... Uh, property and all the rest. Now, granted, it was violating the municipal yeah. law, but it was a municipal law, right? Right. Now, of course, Ontario has also passed legislation that makes it even more, um, how can I say, uh, it, it creates greater uh, penalties now if you're involved in a uh, dispute and uh, protest and you're using trucks. Uh, but the point of the matter is, is that you're dealing with municipal bylaws. You weren't it wasn't trying to overthrow the government or anything of that nature. So uh, what was also uh, interesting as he went through his analysis, he then looked at the, uh, the Charter rights. And he said that when it came to uh, the, uh, the part of the invocation, the regulations that came as a result, things like, for example, uh, preventing people from having uh, protests, that kind of stuff. He says, look, that's a violation of freedom of speech and so on. Uh, then he also said that when it came to freezing bank accounts, okay. that that was a violation uh, of our rights with respect to reasonable search and seizure. And that the court said, look, not only is it unlawful under the Emergencies Act, it's also unconstitutional wow. because it violated uh, one's rights. The thing that I find with this case that is extremely important for us going forward and why this is so important is number one, uh, the rule of law prevailed. Okay. Here we had a judge who, was, who showed himself to be very sympathetic to the government, but was recognizing the wisdom of staying true to the rule of law. And the rule of law is such that Everybody is subject to the law, including the king. And in this uh, situation with the prime minister, right? The prime minister is subject to the law. Right. Uh, that's important. And another thing is that it, it taught us the importance of not only that justice is done, 
but that justice is seen to be done. Okay. And that is important for Canadians to have faith in the legal system itself. I think it was uh, a, a brave decision of the judge, but brave in the sense that he did his job even though he knew that within the legal community, within even the judicial decisions that have been made in recent uh, years uh, with respect to COVID and all the rest, throwing out the cases as far as mootness and so on, he was willing to, to buck the trend. Right, okay. And he was yeah. saying, hey, listen, I'm a judge. Here's the law. Here's the violation. I need to analyze it afresh. And here's how I came down. When he made his decision, he said that as he was looking at the decision itself, he was leaning towards going with the government. He felt that the government ar uh, arguments were, were fairly strong. But then he said when he stepped back and he looked at what the, civil, uh, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the Canada Constitution Foundation were saying with respect to uh, the violations that was going on, he said, you know what? Kind of like as a second thought and analyzing everything, it's sure enough, the government didn't reach the threshold. There were these violations of the charter rights. This is unacceptable. Mm. And I have no choice. Basically, he says, I have no choice but to follow the law. Wow. That to me is a win for Canada. Right. What's going to happen now is that case is going to go to the federal court of appeal. And depending on how that court looks at how he analyzed the law and, and applied the facts and so forth, uh, applied the law to the facts, uh, will be very interesting to see what they decide. Then it would go up to the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, this is, this is a huge legal blow to this government. Okay. This decision already. Uh, this decision already. Right. Because okay. it has pierced, in my view, the glass ceiling, ceiling of right. justice. Okay. Uh, right now, Canadians across the country should feel confident that we have at least one judge who's willing to look at the situation and try to push the politics aside and say, hey, what does the law say? And he came down on the side of law. What will be interesting as it goes to the Supreme Court of Canada, depending on how the Federal Court of Appeal decides, will be how the Supreme Court is going to deal with this case. Mm. Already, uh, we, I think we mentioned last time, or one of the times we were here, was uh, Justice Wagner, the Chief Justice, uh, did something that I think was very unusual, and mm. uh, that he not only commented, but he actually... Uh, was encouraging for uh, the government or accepted the government's um, heavy-handedness in cracking down on the truckers' uh, protest in Ottawa. Wow. That is unusual. Uh, you never see uh, judges, particularly Supreme Court judges, make such statements so that would, on, so, on something that's not even before them. So, so should this come before them, could there be an argument that I'm assuming it's a he, he would have to recuse himself? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what would be made. I, I am sure any lawyer uh, representing the litigants in this case 
uh, would certainly make that argument. And I think they have very strong grounds to ask uh, the Chief Justice to step aside and just allow the remaining justices on the bench to decide, which, mm. which creates a bit of a problem if, they, if it's a tight court, because then you'll only have eight judges as opposed to nine, so you wouldn't be able to break the tie. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, if, it, if it came to that, right? So it is a case certainly we have to uh, be watching and pay attention to, and especially now as we come up, you know, already uh, the, this entire experience was so unnecessary. And I think that's the fundamental uh, takeaway from this okay. case, is that the government spent literally millions and millions of dollars in invoking the act when they had all of the tools to look after the protest. They did not need to have those emergency powers, but they went ahead and did it anyhow. Um, we have not seen, and the court points out that in this case, Justice Mosley pointed out that the government did not reveal all of its evidence as to the reasons why it made its decision. I see. For example, I would very much, and I'm looking forward to the day when it's ultimately revealed of the lawyer's argument, the government lawyer's argument, the memorandum of law that they would have given to the prime minister and to the cabinet to say, hey, yeah, you, have, is, you have reached the threshold. Okay, yeah. Because what arguments would they have used? Yeah, what right? arguments would they have used? Yeah. The only thing that I can see is, and I can only just read it from when the prime minister spoke at the at the public inquiry, and that is, he said, well, well, that the Emergencies Act was from the 1980s, and this is now, you know, in the, in the 2020s, and so, you know, that's, that's old, and we need to add in here the idea of, uh, of economic hardship or economic threat, but that's not there in the Act. And to just go ahead and make a policy on something that's not there right. uh, is actually... It's, it's basically, obviously, unlawful and unconstitutional, wow. according to uh, Justice Mosley. And I think it's a, um, a very important decision as we move forward. So this federal court, there's just one judge that one makes judge, a, yeah. one, one judge make decision. So, but, but now when it goes up to the federal court, it, it'll be a panel of at least three and maybe five. I don't know what they'll decide, but yeah. So, you know what, I was, I was thinking we were gonna be able to do this in one program. <laughs> because I've got more questions for you sure. and, we're, and we're running out of time. Yeah. So we're going to extend this program to next week. Okay. So I'm going to put off my study of Revelation another week. That's okay. <laughs> but I think this is important because, you know, like, okay, so what does that mean to me as a, like, as a Christian? Like why, you know what I mean? I have folks say to me, why are you always, you know, why are you guys so worried about, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, what are you worried about the government, right? But to me... The invocation of the Emergencies Act, as you said, is an extreme measure mm -hmm. that impacts upon my rights and my ability to do things that constitutionally, from what I understand, that those are suspended mm -hmm. d during that, that period, of, period of time. Mm -hmm. I understand the worry of the government, and maybe, as the judge said, if I was sitting at that table, I would have ruled and made the same decision from their perspective that they did. Mm -hmm. But we have a system that is checks and balances with the courts. And we have to be allowed to go through that process. And so we're out of time. They're freaking out here. And so we need to, we need to end with a word of prayer. 
but I'm going to have you back next week okay. and we're going to, we're going to continue on this. Right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to just discuss these important topics. Father, we want to lift up our government, our leadership in government. Just, Father, give them the wisdom to, to do things according to your will. We think of the judicial branch and the judges that have to make such important decisions. May they also seek out your wisdom. And each and every viewer that is watching us, Father, bless them in a mighty way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program where we have our book offer on each and every program. We try to make a resource available uh, to you, something to encourage you to study and learn more about God's will for your life. And uh, today we have a little book here called I Am Persuaded, A Shining Vision of God's Love in the Book of Romans. We'd love to send you this little book as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. No obligation whatsoever on your part the book arrives in your home, postage paid. If you're interested in receiving your copy of I Am Persuaded, pay special attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box, 27030 Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Let me thank you for watching. Dr. Bussey, thank you for being here. Great to be here. Hey, tell us about your book. Where can folks uh, get your book? Right. Uh, you can uh, pick up a copy at Amazon or also at Friesen Press. Uh, you'll be able to find it there. Okay. Uh, and also, I'm, I'm uh, kind of on a little bit of a book tour. So if people want to follow, follow us on uh, firstfreedoms.ca, uh, you can find out where I'm going to be next, uh, just speaking about the issues, and often I will have my books with me and folks can purchase right, right there. Okay, I'm sure there was a little bar below your name there with that information, and we'll have a link on our website. You just go to the previous programs tab. You'll see there's a button there for First Freedoms Foundation. You can always reach Dr. Bussey through there. Uh, our website, l4ltv.com, check that out. Uh, not only can you find a link to Dr. Bussey's organization, you'll see where I'll be appearing. You can also send a donation if you feel so impressed to do so. Every penny that is donated is invested back into the ministry, purchasing the airtime, purchasing the 
paying for the studio time or the gifts that we give out. None of that comes to my family or myself. And so, and you are eligible then for a receipt for income tax purposes. Follow me on Instagram every morning, Santos underscore Bill, 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. I put out a devotional video, a great way to get started. We're all out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you back next week again as we continue our discussion with Dr. Barry Bussey. Till then, God bless you. We'll see you then.